Okay, so let's continue letter number five. We're up to page 77, the second paragraph. And what we discussed yesterday is the idea that what we think of as good and evil, we have to recalibrate and recognize that it's not up to us to determine what is good and what is evil, but it is rather up to God to determine what is good and what is evil. And the way in which that is revealed to us is through his Torah. Sorry, which page, uh, Rabbi? Page 77. So the, there was an interesting footnote uh, in footnote number four, when he discusses the idea of that we are supposed to be taking all of our qualities and all of our characteristics and putting them to the service of God's will. The footnote really gets into an interesting idea. We're not going to read it at length, but just an interesting idea that was very, very important in that time period in Germany with the Jews of that time, which is that Kant said that true morality has to be based on the moral autonomy of the individual. So in other words, if your decision, whether or not to engage in this action is not because you determined that it is a good action to, be, to behave in or to engage in, but rather it's because someone else determines, in this case, God, that itself is a deficiency in your moral autonomy, according to Kant. So. This is not something that poses an issue for Judaism because first of all, Kant could be wrong. Uh, second of all, the reason why it doesn't pose an issue is because your very determination in the first place to say, I am going to make a decision, like we just heard from the Chaslevskis, you're going to make a decision, is this the wise thing to do or not? That itself is completely independent. That itself has complete moral autonomy. That's not imposed at all. The determination of whether or not it is a good or bad thing to do that determination can come elsewhere. That determination doesn't have to be always independent. Okay, so we're on the second paragraph now. Implicit in man's freedom of action, however, is the possibility of wrongdoing. Man is to subordinate himself of his own free will to the law, which all other creatures have no choice but to obey. Therefore, he alone has the possibility of evading it. His animal nature, the demands of his body, pose the threat of sensuous, sensuous lust. Tempted by the pleasurable sensations which God, in his loving kindness, associated with the satisfaction of his needs, man may come to seek pleasure not as a means, but as an end in itself. Something very, very important here that he, you know, sort of slipped in there, right? In terms of discussing, God was kind to us and recognize that there are things that we have to engage in for the perpetuation of ourselves and for the perpetuation of the species, right? We have to engage in eating and drinking. We have to engage in reproduction, right? And they could be actions that can involve zero pleasure at all. And that could have been a possibility when God created the world, but that's not how he created the world. He created the world that you can enjoy the sensations of eating and drinking delicious food, at least if you don't have COVID and lost your sense of smell or taste, which I, I thank God did not, did not yet lose. Thank God. Um, but if te technically, and not technically, for most people, that's one of the, it's a very enjoyable sensation to eat and drink food and, and to, the pleasure of eating and drinking the food is, is certainly great. And that's not, not a necessity for the absolute, uh, for, for us to absolutely exist. We don't need to enjoy it, right? So that itself is a loving kindness by Hashem to give us those opportunities to have the, the simple pleasures. And then obviously when we talk about reproduction, the same thing is true as well. That itself was, God gave us a pleasure, 
But not that we should get confused and get so fixated on that pleasure and forget what the ultimate purpose is, right? Ultimately, the reason why we eat is to exist, right? If you get very fixated on just eating just for the sake of the pleasures, you end up like the ancient Romans did, where they would actually cause themselves to, they would forcibly actually, you know, um, what's it called again? What's the nice word for it? Um, as opposed to saying throw up. The, when they vomit, you cause yourself to, to vomit. There was a word for it. I forget the word right now. Um, so can you guys see me right now? Because I'm getting an internet. Okay, fine. So, so they, they would actually cause themselves to throw up because they wanted to eat more food, right? In other words, they were not eating at all for the sake of survival. They were eating for the sake of enjoying the sensations as it goes down their esophagus and as it's in their throat. And that is a, a complete perversion of why we do things that we do. Man's intellectual eminence poses the threat of pride, his power to dominate all things and to modify them according to his intentions might make him think of himself as the master. He might come to forget God, to forget that everything belongs to him and was lent to man only for a specific purpose. And he might thus come to usurp for himself the right to follow only his own will. Man will reach the greatest depth of degradation when all his efforts are devoted to the gratification of his animalistic urges. And his intellect, instead of being the master, becomes the slave of the animal, serving only its demands. At this point, man is reduced to the most dangerous beast of prey, for he is armed with intellect, and the world is not safe from his tyranny. So we have something that distinguishes us from, from animals, and that is our intellect. Right. And when we say intellect, well, we can describe that as this is part of the soul, right? This is not the highest part of the soul, certainly, but it is part of the soul, as we discussed in the past, the different levels of the soul. And one of the levels of the soul is the ability to have very rational thought. And that is something which comes from a more spiritual place. Now, obviously, our bodily urges come from a more animalistic place. And we're going to see right now in the footnote in Rav Shamshin Rafal Hirsch's philosophy about these two different elements, how both of them have a potential for temptation to evil. And that we can actually look at two different categories of ways in which we can do evil. One, in terms of the ability to use the animalistic side that we are tempted to do evil. And one in terms of our intellectual side how we are tempted to do evil. So let's look now at footnote number five on page 83. Possibility of wrongdoing. This possibility is a blessing for man since it creates freedom of choice. Of course, the goal of temptation is not to make man stumble. On the contrary, the tempter wants to be defeated for temptation itself is also a servant of God. Thus, Rabbi Shamshin Rafal Hirsch explains God's warning to Cain in Bereshus 4, 7 as follows. See whether you will use your privilege for good or not for good, for sin rests before the door. Its strong desire is to you that you should master it. So in Hebrew, it's not so clear how you're supposed to read that verse. And it's a very famous line. It says, Lepetach chatat rovetz, right? Ve'alecha tishukaso, ve'atat timshal bo, right? So in this famous Pasuk, it's the famous verse, it's unclear as to what the connection is between the first part and the second part. The simple translation is, it, it desires for you, and it is waiting, it is lurking in wait for you at your door, but you can rule over it. 
But what Rabbi Hirsch says is, he actually says, it's desire, the temptation that is at your door, that temptation, it too desires that you rule over it, right? In other words, this is in, in contradistinction to, as we've said in the past, how Christians believe that there's original sin. And once there's original sin, there is no hope. But Rev Hirsch explains, along with many other illustrious commentators, that that's exactly what the Torah is coming to exclude. And the Torah is saying, no, sin does not want you to sin. There is always hope to overcome sin. Even sin itself wants you to overcome it. Okay? Hence, like the Sfas Emes, the Sfas Emes, who was the famous Hasidic, uh, the Gerar Rebbe, he sees in the word nisayon, temptation, also ness, banner. In overcoming temptation, a person lifts up both himself and the world. Right? So it's a very important distinction. That is, he understands this in the verse of the Torah itself. Okay, tomorrow night we will continue with this very important footnote on page number 84 that will discuss the two different types of sinning that we do in this world, right? Okay. Take care, everyone. You all have a good night.